0: Are you ready for this? Ready. Hey, everyone, this is Tom Salome, editorial director of Device Talks. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast before I'm joined by my podcast partner Chris Newmarker the executive editor of life sciences at mass device and medical design and outsourcing i want to let you know that i'll be hosting a webinar it's not going to be a device talks tuesday webinar it's a different webinar with our friends at mcra and the title is the future of medical devices how covid-19 and the rise of digital health has changed regulatory clinical and reimbursement dynamics in the medical device industry That takes place at 11.30 a.m. You can find out more information at our medicaldesignandoutsourcing.com website. Device Talks Tuesdays will return on June 30th. We'll be talking about improving MedTech's bedside manner with Heidi Dose. She's a senior program manager at Google. and She'll talk about her work to help MedTech companies and patients improve the performance of their implanted devices. It's a really fascinating conversation. She's an interesting person with a great background. So you want to be part of that conversation, go to devicetalks.com to register for that. I hope you'll join us on both those webinars. Now it's time for this episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Let's join my podcast partner and co-host, Chris Newmarker. Well, Chris Newmarker, happy early Father's Day to you. Yeah, thanks. You too, Tom. (laughs) It's going to be an odd Father's Day. Normally, I'd like to go to a minor league baseball game, but sadly, not possible. Any big plans this weekend?
1: Oh no! Hey, I got five guys the other day. There you go. That's a that's a Father's Dayish
0: thing. A so that's a start, you know. So yeah. So let's uh, let's get into this week. I mean, it's been a, I think uh, an interesting week for MedTech. We've got a couple of uh, great interviews lined up that we'll share on the podcast. But one thing I just wanted to kind of get get take a look back and, and uh, take a look at our sort of more interesting, our favorite stories of the week. Mine actually broke last Friday, but uh, it was reported along this a lot this week. It was the Blackstone investment in Medtronic, which was kind of a unique royalty deal—not something you see in, in medtech very often. Um, that, that seemed really interesting
1: to me too, and we have a number of uh, you know emails out to uh, device industry analysts now, kind of saying, "Hey, why did why did Medtronic take the money?" But you know, as far as Blackstone's concerned, at least, uh, I mean, diabetes is, is it's unfortunately a very stable space because. You have diabetes. You need to check your blood sugar. You need, you need, um, you know, need your insulin. And uh, and you know, there's been a lot of uh, innovation in the space. You know, everything from, from continuous glucose monitors to automating insulin pumps. So there's you know a lot of uh, you know really useful technology for people with diabetes that's coming out. Medtronic's done a lot of work in the space. So I mean, it's, you know it makes sense. This would be a good way for Blackstone to hedge it, its bets for sure. You know that that kind of technology
0: all right one of those analysts that chris emailed actually uh did did get back to us and i was able to speak with raj denoy of jeffrey's raj is actually our first return guest to the podcast so let's hear this conversation i had with raj about the medtronic blackstone deal raj denoy welcome back to the podcast you're our first repeat customer thanks for uh thanks for returning
2: oh thanks for the invitation yeah no problem
0: so, just looking for a little clarity on the uh, Medtronic partnership or, or the investment Medtronic received from from Blackstone. I mean, Blackstone's an interesting player. Obviously, it's a global private equity player. They acquired Claris last year, a uh, life sciences uh, venture growth equity group. So they've got a, the expertise in this area. But we've never seen this sort of royalties based deal in in medtech. I guess my question for you, as a as a watcher of Medtronic. Why would uh, what, what would be appealing to Medtronic? What, what's in it for them other than the money?
2: Yeah, no, it, it's, it's a great question. And I think it's one that people have been asking, right? Because as you noted, it's a bit of a unique structure in Medtech. Uh, you know, Blackstone has done other deals in, in biotech and other areas where they put investments like this in. But certainly we haven't seen it in Medtech before. Um, you know, and it kind of begs the question because uh, Medtronic being you know the largest per play medical device company, you know, a rock solid balance sheet. Um, you know, the fact that this company would be looking for external capital is is somewhat surprising. Um, you know, they were asked about it recently on a on a public conference call, and they they said, you know, they've got an abundance of things that they can invest in as a company, and so this sort of expands their scope of of investment. Um, you know, but it's it's still uh, somewhat surprising. You know, it's not a huge investment. Three hundred million dollars from Medtronic is, you know, over several years is not um, you know backbreaking by any means for that company. So. So again, I think your your question is is a good one. And I, I'm not sure I can give you a, a great answer because it's it's a some somewhat interesting. Um, you know, I, I suppose there's you could also maybe couch it in the idea that that the diabetes division where this money is being put into, you know, has struggled a little bit the last few years. They've been losing market share, they've been behind in product development, and so having Blackstone not only put money in but also be involved in a steering committee in that division, you know, might add a bit of discipline to it. And so maybe they're Trying to signal something in that regard as well, um, but it's it's a unique structure. Um, I'm not sure we'll see a lot of it uh, because again, the cost of capital for these companies is is pretty low, and 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 you know why they would limit the upside to them by paying a royalty to an outside party is you know is is uh, it's kind of hard to explain.
0: That's an even more interesting element: the fact if they did just bring in some some outside perspective to just uh, to to help them stay on track. So. Interesting thought. So you you anticipated my next question was this: uh, you don't necessarily see this as uh, a, a as an example. Others may follow. They certainly could. Blackstone has a lot of money to invest now, and they may make some deals that are too good to refuse. But uh, based upon just what you see so far, you don't necessarily see a lot of other candidates for this happening down the road.
2: Sure, not not in this vein, right? Where it's 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 dedicated investment in a certain segment within an, a large kind of diversified tech company. Uh, that's that's a relatively unique structure. I mean, if, uh, if one of these companies was doing a large acquisition or needed, you know, large sums of capital, maybe Blackstone or others could be a source of that. But structures like this, again, uh, seem kind of one-off to me.
0: All right. Excellent point. Well, thanks for taking a few minutes, Raj. And again, thanks for coming back to the podcast.
2: Yeah, no problem. Talk to you soon.
0: All right, well, this week, the bulk of the podcast will focus on uh, two themes that we've uh, been covering a lot or talking about a lot lately. Uh, one of them is diversity, and we'll talk with Kevin Lobo of Stryker later on. I had a conversation with him earlier this week. And uh, Kevin is, of course, the chair of AdvaMed and, and uh, last year at their annual meeting, they really emphasized their push into emphasizing diversity. In medtech, and Kevin had a lot of interesting thoughts on that. So we'll share that interview toward the end of the podcast. But first, one thing that we can't seem to stop talking about is, is COVID-19. And you had a really great interview with Kevin Sayer of, uh, of Dexcom about uh, some success that they've had in, uh, in introducing glucose monitoring in uh, the treatment of COVID-19, or at least the monitoring of COVID-19.
1: Yeah, the monitoring of the patients, and you know, and you know, another another sad thing in the diabetes space actually is that you know diabetes you know seems to be one of the factors that you know can cause somebody to have a you know severe you know case of COVID nineteen, and you know just one fact of life if you're if you have diabetes and you're in the hospital you know I mean generally in the past you have the staff like is you know coming in all the time to you know, check your, uh, check your blood sugar and, you know, help you manage your diabetes. Um, you know, if somebody has COVID, you know, the staff in the hospital, you know, really want to have as, as little contact with you as possible. Um, you know, cause they're, they're trying to protect themselves. And that's kind of like where continuous glucose monitors come in. I mean, they haven't been really allowed in hospitals up until now, but you know, the, uh, the FDA kind of, you know, they issued like a, like kind of a temporary, you know, emergency guidance saying, "Yeah, bring the CGMs in the hospital." You know, Dexcom's been doing it, Abbott's been doing it, and uh, you know, I asked, uh, you know, I asked uh, Kevin Sayer, Dexcom's uh, CEO, you know, do you think this is gonna, you know, continue after uh, after the pandemic? You know, having your your products uh, in in hospitals in this way, and you know, here's let's just play the clip. I mean, here's what he had to say. Yeah. Welcome to uh, Mass Device Medical Design Outsourcing. It's really great uh, to have you on. You know, the first thing I'd really like to talk about is, I mean, the COVID-19 pandemic, of course, it remains on the top of mind for like, many people. I mean, how is the pandemic affecting Dexcom?
3: It's affected us uh, in, in a number of ways. Uh, I, I think, first of all, if you look at our company's activities, we've really had a, a three-pronged focus that we've stuck to very carefully. First, our employees. And we very quickly, like a number of companies, migrated everybody who is not essential home and kept our factories up and running and producing. So we've not had any product shortage at all for our patients. We've been able to get them product uh, as we could have pre-COVID, which was, is really a big win for us. So we, we focused first on our employees next on all the patients that we serve and then finally on the community with respect to community a couple of things we've done that have been really important at least for dexcom one of them is about to launch we have a patient assistance program that we put in place for dexcom patients who in fact do lose their jobs during this time we know that patients have come to completely depend upon this device for managing their diabetes right and if they lose their insurance or their job we put a program in place Uh, that will kick in, I I think, early July, late June, to whereby for literally $90 for six months, these patients can still have access to CGM. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They don't have Medicaid and they don't have their insurance anymore. So that is uh, a big community commitment we made. The other thing we did is we, uh, in speaking with a number of the hospitals and seeing what was going on, we were able to obtain uh, an emergency waiver from the FDA to be able to use our system in the hospital Uh, on on COVID patients. You know, as I've read all the data and I'm probably more connected to the glucose data with respect to COVID than any of the rest of it, but a large number of the patients have diabetes, type one and type two diabetes, but there's also other patients who have other health challenges, who have glucose variations that also lead to difficult COVID outcomes as well. Uh, So our sensor has been able to be used in the hospital to give healthcare professionals the opportunity to remotely and accurately monitor these patients so they don't have to go in there and stick their finger every time something goes on. Uh, it saves time, it saves PPE, it leads to better outcomes. You know, the diabetic patients got put on insulin drips um, in many cases, they got off the insulin drip much faster because we could see, you know, the trends of their glucose values. Um, and and, 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 and admissions were, uh, you know, they, they were able to, not admissions, but discharges were much faster for those patients who were able to get on the Dexcom CGM as well. So we've been able to learn a lot about our product and made a big investment here to, to give the product into that hospital community so we'd have that kind of data.
1: That's neat. of so preliminary data you have out you know, like, I know that was one of the big reveals that you had at ADA was this preliminary data, but it's it's showing that uh, their, um, you know, their discharge situation is better.
3: Yeah, it is better. And well, and, 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 you know, the anecdotal stories are even better than the stuff we can tell from the pulpit. Uh, you know, we, we've even heard stories of patients who come in and they were about to ventilate them and then they realize, well, maybe the glucose values are out of control. Getting the glucose values under control leads to to figuring out a whole bunch more about these patients before they take more drastic steps. So I, I you know, it, it, it's been a good thing. We've learned where we need to improve a little bit. Uh, we've learned what we do, a lot of what we don't know uh, with respect to how things work in the hospital environment, with respect to the IT connectivity and, and their security systems and how important security is there. Whereas we're sending a mobile device in to, communicate to the cloud, so we've learned from that. We've also learned uh, what type of configuration would be the best configuration in that environment going forward in the future. Is something more configured to the entire nurses station rather than the, the consumer figure configuration we have now. So I think over time, uh, if we can capitalize on this and continue to gather data, this will position us very well to get into that segment in the future.
1: Yeah, that was kind of what my next question was going to be, was that, I mean, I know the FDA had this as like kind of like an emergency measure, but, I mean, how much do you think this is going to, um, you know, uh, stick would be a bad pun, but how long do you think this is going to, you know, stay around in the future? Um,
3: well, I, I can't speak to what the FDA will and won't, uh, yeah. won't grant us. I, I, I know from the hospitals we spoke with, they have no intention of giving it up, those who use it regularly. They don't want to, so I, 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 as long as the COVID crisis looms, I think we can continue to gather data and continue to work on patients there. I, for us, next steps are to gather presentable data and get it to the FDA and show them the impact of the technology that we have, that our device performs the way uh, that we thought it would in, in that environment, and, and go next steps from there. Inevitably, we'll decide that they'll decide with us, do we have to run another clinical study of some kind to get into the FDA. And if we do, that's, we'll just yeah, do it. Yeah. Uh, we, but we think that's an important market for us over yeah. time. We, we have a huge outcome there. Not yeah, just COVID-wise. Not,
1: I'm definitely not an expert. But I could see like you could have some real efficiencies in a, in a hospital environment. Well, a I, I mean,
3: I went out and, and did a road trip on this, uh, not, not this year, but a couple of years ago. And one medical center I went to, in the ICU they test diabetes patients every 30 minutes yeah 48 finger sticks a day for these people and you put a cgm on them and those go away uh yeah. that's a lot of nursing time that's a lot of safety for patients with the alerts and the alarms that, that, there's a lot of good things uh that happen because of that so
1: yeah yeah that could be yeah i, I just yeah it could
3: be a really nice market
1: yeah and i mean it's I mean, what, what's going on with the pandemic is incredibly sad, but it does, this does seem like a good example of how, I mean, you have a time of crisis, you can also have some some real innovation. So, I mean, like hopefully this could be a good, some good innovation in the healthcare system. Um, we hope so too. You know, I know in other news, uh, you know, so you're, you're starting to, to ship out the, the G6 Pro next month. So, I mean, tell, tell us a little bit about that. I mean, what makes it different compared with, uh, you know, previous iterations of your CG. Sure,
3: I'll be happy to. We have had a professional product for a long time, but we've never had something like this. The G6 system uh, and the way it connects to the phone and and the no calibration model of G6 is something different than we've ever offered the healthcare professional. So up until this point, uh, there wasn't really a, if you went into doctor's office and the professional offering we had was our old G4 system. So now with G6 Pro, uh, if a physician wants to see how a patient's doing, that physician has a couple of options. One of those options is they can put a G6 Pro on them and they can blind it and literally use it as a checkup to see what's going on in a patient's life, and then download it after uh, the sensor session and see the ups and the downs and and you know what what's going on. Or they can give that patient a real-time CGM experience. Which is what DEXCOM offers now, to whereby that patient can see the data on their phone and the data goes straight to the cloud uh, to the physician and they can talk during the course of a week. So, as you look at a scenario, and yeah, let's go to the COVID situation here. If physicians had a G6 prototype offering to put on a newly diagnosed patient, they could use that as a teaching opportunity for that patient to train them on how to manage their diabetes. There might have been an office visit to whereby they would have trained them to do it, but only one. And then they could uh, walk them through that scenario through the telemedicine uh, offerings that we provide now. We have a clarity system. If that data is going to your phone, it goes straight to the cloud, and the physician can get that data obviously securely and with the patient's permission. You can manage those newly diagnosed patients remotely rather than in a hospital or rather than in the office every day. And G6 Pro will give us an opportunity to do that without a patient having to go through all of, the, uh, all, of uh, all of what it takes to get reimbursed for a G6 system upon new diagnosis. So we think that provides us a great telehealth opportunity as well.
1: Yeah, you're kind of, um, tell me a little bit more about that because it, it sounds like your technology is actually helping with, you know, kind of like the, the growth of telehealth right now. Oh, it
3: absolutely is. Uh, when this started and, and, and the endocrinology clinics closed, physicians and and, and the other caregivers in those clinics realize very quickly, one of the easiest way to manage their patients is if they're on a Dexcom. And again, the way our system works, uh, our our on-body component, our sensor and transmitter, sends a glucose value to a receiving device, and for most of our patients, that's their mobile platform. If it goes to their mobile platform, then that data goes straight to the cloud, and with the permission of the patient, the physician can see that at at any time they want. Uh, through clarity and see analysis. You know, the other thing that happens on the telemedicine front with our product, and it's really not necessarily just telemedicine, but it's just the experience we've created. For our patients, that data can be shared uh, with a number of people. So again, you look at telehealth, the application for a physician, if they have a problem patient who's having difficulties, they could see that data real time if they wanted to, but also seeing that data real time are their caregivers and their infrastructure uh if it's a child their parents if it's a married person their spouse or yeah. if it's one of our medicare patient it's it's their care- caregivers and those around them so you know we designed our system for this day many years ago and it's it's very gratifying yeah. to see some of the things we plan plan for be useful and be useful in a time of crisis like this
1: yeah it's it's, it's kind of like maybe people had their Old, older habits or their older way of like, you know, treating the disease. And this is just kind of pushed everyone to kind of like, like, you know, move, move in it kind of what you're trying to encourage people to do really.
3: Yeah. Let's be more efficient about this.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, so, I mean, what's next? I mean, we got the G6. I mean, what's, I mean, you know, what's, well, you know, up?
3: for us with, with G6, this is like G6 second uh, anniversary. It's been out for two years now. Yeah. And it's something we sometimes forget. Uh, that's not very long in a product life cycle in our industry. So we will continue to work on G6 and 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 make it better. Uh, we've connected it to a number of devices. One of the the takeaways from the ADA conference this past weekend, there were numerous presentations on G6 being connected to insulin pumps and algorithms uh, to give patients again better experiences where they don't have to react so much information they have an algorithm a system that treats them and the results of those systems connected to our product uh, we're very promising so we'll continue yeah. c- to connect to those products we'll continue to to refine it I think and then our next product offering is obviously our G7 yeah uh, and we've talked about that uh, for quite some time too that's a much smaller product it's a again going to create a different experience we will not give up any of the features of G6 that make it the the best system on the market today, but we'll add to it uh, and make that experience even better for patients. We've talked about that being delayed a bit uh, due to the COVID situation, because we haven't been able to run the studies. We typically would run in a clinic where, and our studies are very detailed. You have to put a patient literally in a clinic and draw blood for an extended period of time, and clinics haven't been open doing that, and we're just, starting back up on that front. So we'll continue to, uh, to build on the G6 franchise. We have international markets where it hasn't been launched. We've got G6 Proto Launch. Uh, we've got devices to connect to. We've got software to build. And, and you know, that's another exciting thing as you look at what, where Dexcom's positioned itself. Uh, this really is where technology meets healthcare. Uh, we can literally change the patient experience through different software applications. And I think as you look at over the course of the next several years, and now I'm getting pretty philosophical, but 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 honest goodness, it's true. There are patients are, who are going to want to interact differently with their CGMs, and by having this ICGM designation, we have to be able to connect with any device uh, that's out there—pumps, uh, pens, algorithms, what have you—because our data is so strong. We can create a number of different experiences for patients, and that will engage them more and lead to better healthcare outcomes. So I. I I literally think we're just at the beginning uh, of the CGM revolution. I, I don't think, uh, I don't think this thing has really got all its legs yet. I think we're just starting.
1: That sounds great. Well, thanks. It was, it was a really real pleasure to meet you. And, you know, thanks for taking the time to talk today. And...
3: Okay. It, it, it's a great day for us. And if you have any other questions, just let us know.
0: Well, great job with the interview, Chris. Uh, how did the article do on, uh, on mass device this week?
1: Yeah. And it's actually our most, you know, read article so far this week.
0: Excellent. Well, good job with that. Next, we're going to hear from uh, Kevin Lobo. Uh, it was uh, very, very kind of him to take a few minutes to talk. I had literally about 10 or 15 minutes with him early, earlier this week. And uh, he, I wanted to speak with him because, of course, after the, 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 the killing of George Floyd and, and all that came after that, I think we're all looking inward a bit as to what we can do better. And uh, I think folks in MedTech are asking that question as well as, as they should and as we should as content providers and conference producers. So uh, it was uh, great of Kevin to take a few minutes to talk about how he views the situation and uh, the efforts they're taking both at Stryker but also at Advent.
1: Yeah, that sounds really interesting. And, you know, as he said, it is, you know, other than COVID, I mean, this is, this is like really the, the thing that's like people, top of mind for people right now.
0: So Kevin Lobo, thank you for joining us on the podcast. I'm happy to be here. So it's been a uh, tumultuous couple of weeks, of course, since the the killing of George Floyd. And this is an act that really has impacted the MedTech community and the Minneapolis and Minnesota community. And it drew a lot of responses uh, from MedTech CEOs, very public statements that hadn't previously come. And I wanted to talk to you because I know when you took over as chair as AdvoMed, you made diversity, and I, I think out of was already moving in this direction, but you made diversity a centerpiece of what you wanted to achieve in your two years. So I, I think this is sort of a, a, a great conversation to have. Following up on those statements by those CEOs, what can companies actually do from here? The public statements are great, but, but how do we turn that into meaningful action?
4: Yeah, I think the public statements were required. I mean, this is something that's been building. Our employees need to hear that. And frankly, what's the next step is really to listen to our employees, to understand what they're going through in the very short term. To, we're in Striker. We're calling it days of understanding or mm-hmm. having our employee resource groups actually facilitate open conversations. So I think getting the dialogue alive and well among the company employees is really important. But from there, you then have to move to, OK, how do we advance the cause of diversity and inclusion? Something we've been doing at Striker. Since I became CEO, and as you mentioned, AdvoMed, one of the four pillars that we established, a new pillar, uh, was diversity and inclusion. We had activities going on, but it wasn't formal. We made it a formal committee with formal working groups, with formal sessions. Last year, we had a whole morning of our, of our MedTech conference devoted to diversity and inclusion. And as a result, we had an increase of over 30% of female participants in the MedTech conference year over year, so pretty dramatic And it was all around training for managers and employees about how do you become more diverse? How do you become more inclusive? Uh, Within Stryker, we actually measure our representation, female representation, representation of racial um, diversity as well. Mm -hmm. And by measuring, we haven't set goals. We haven't set targets. We don't do quotas, but we measure. And what gets measured actually results and translates into results. And what we've seen over the past seven years is a steady increase in female and gender representation at the sales rep level, at the manager level, at the director level, and at the vice president level. In the vice president level, eight percentage points just in the last five years. And for us, we noticed that sales for the, for the med tech industry, if you look at gender versus other industries, we index lower on sales and executive management. In the middle, middle management, we're pretty similar to other industries. Mm-hmm. Salesforce tends to be a funnel a funnel to executive management within our industry. So there's a zoom on that, that we focused on at Stryker, and we're also focusing on in the med tech industry. As it relates to racial diversity, our numbers aren't as impressive at Stryker right now. We, we are tracking it. We're making, I would say, more uh, slower progress, but that's because we've put most of our energy early on into gender diversity. That mm-hmm. was the area we really wanted to focus on. We had a Stryker women's uh, ER employee resource group established. And that was, it's been over 10 years old. And we just put that on steroids over the last six or seven years. And now we have seven other employee resource groups, including racial diversity. And we need to then bring those up to the same degree that we have, uh, with the striker women's network, but it all starts with having executive leadership, total commitment, a buy-in metrics, measurement discussions. And, you know, even at our sales meetings, our national sales meetings, we have breakouts to Mm -hmm. talk about diversity and inclusion. And those are extremely well attended. And so that's, you really have to walk the talk in terms of having statements, but back them up with executive time at the employee resource group meetings, sponsorship, funding of your resource groups, and actual time where you spend discussing what sometimes are very contentious topics. Mm -hmm. People get very emotional. Their religion might lead them to have certain opinions about things. And and so you have to air all that and say, this is a workplace. We will not tolerate any kind of prejudice. We will not tolerate injustice. We, and you just have to be very clear about that. And employees embrace it. And and so we, I found it to be very healthy. And it's it's caused us to have a broader population of people wanting to come to work at Striker. And it's created a healthier environment for our employees.
0: So the, the tracking of the numbers, you say you don't have quotas, but you do keep track of the numbers. Uh, we do. How, how is that... What is the connection there? Is, is the fact that you're tracking the numbers, that you're letting your, your management teams know that, look, we are keeping an eye on this, we are following this, that's sufficient to ensure that they reach out and broaden their networks and bring in as many applicants and, and different types of new hires as possible?
4: I can certainly speak for Stryker. Numbers matter a lot at mm-hmm. Stryker. Mm-hmm. Your quota, your business plan, people drive to hit their numbers. And by putting numbers on a page and asking people to explain their either whether it's gone up, whether it's stayed the same or whether it's gone down, why, and have them talk about it, that's enough. Just Mm -hmm. putting that in. So when we do our business reviews, we actually ask, we say, show us your numbers and talk about it explain it to us. And what are you doing? And that's all we need at Stryker for people to really move the needle and to sort of find religion. And then we actually show them examples. So our medical division historically has had the best representation of women in their sales forces. And so we had the presidents of other divisions call the medical division and say, so what are you doing? How do you, how do you have so many more women? Or in the case of joint replacements, so a lot of times you hear the excuse that, well, most of the surgeons are men, so we're going to put a man in the operating mm-hmm. room. And, and it's, it's an excuse because if you go to Australia or the, the UK, they have roughly 50% of their, their sales force are women mm-hmm. servicing and they're providing service and sales support to male surgeons for the most part. So it's just it's just something that's happened in in a society. Like if you look at Japan being very more male dominant or India for the sales forces, it's just something societal that's happened. And you can overcome that if you sort of take off your blinders and you're shown the example. And so we have our, our U.S. people reach out to those countries and sort of explain to us how this has worked. And once you start and you bring in people that are different they and they're high talent, Believe me, that's all you care about is you want to drive great results. The customers are very happy. It's different at first. You have to have a little bit of courage to lean in in these areas, but our results have, have proven that, that our business results have improved as we've become more diverse and that's the most compelling factor for me.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Does the, the template then you use for gender diversity, is that the one you're going to carry over if you haven't already to, to broaden racial diversity?
4: Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. So we're just—that's a more recent phenomenon. uh, That what I was hoping would happen is, as you improve gender diversity, Mm -hmm. it would that that would automatically have racial diversity improve. I just assumed that you know once you start broadening your net that and you focus on women, you'll bring along racial diversity. Well, it turned out not to be accurate. Mm -hmm. That racial diversity needs a separate lens, a separate focus. So unfortunately, I was hoping it would just create that tailwind. It didn't and we do have some very specific actions that we, that we have planned on racial diversity in terms of hiring and internships with historically-backed colleges, a whole series of programs. Now, coronavirus has obviously delayed some of the hiring initiatives, sure. at least just short-term delay, but, uh, but, but I think this all of these incidents that have occurred has, has really shone a spotlight on this and, and creating better dialogue within our organizations is helping and really amplifying our employee resource groups with like the same way we did for women's leadership. We're now doing with, with black, um, Latin and X, uh, and different types of, of minorities, Asians as well. And we're really amplifying those resource groups. So I, I expect as, cause we are tracking that we're going to start to see improvement, but we have a long way to go. We have not yet made that progress.
0: Um, and you're looking at every level from, from every level of management to manufacturing, and and such are you know, and you the,
4: we, we track it at all levels and mm-hmm. honestly in manufacturing that's not an area of huge concern we actually <laughs> have pretty good diversity uh, both in women and racial diversity that mm-hmm. the bigger the bigger gear areas of opportunity for us are in the sales force and also in, in management
0: so zooming out then back to your role as chair of advamed what will the industry do more on a broader basis uh, do do you see a striker modeling model being applied by others? Is AdvoMed working on developing some sort of regimen that others can employ? Where do we go from here as a sector?
4: Yeah, I mean, we're not the only company that's been sort of embracing diversity and inclusion. So there are a lot of great companies within the medtech industry, and we want to take best practices from everybody. So some of the striker offense, I'm sure, has already been applied, but we're bringing in best practices from other organizations. And what I'm excited about is all of the CEOs really embrace this. So when I suggested that we'd launch this, I wasn't sure what the reaction would be I, in, in, in my mind. I thought some companies might say, well, this is not a job of a trade association. This is each of our companies should focus on this. And, but I was overwhelmed with support from all the other med tech CEOs that they wanted to focus on this. They want to raise the industry attractiveness for diverse candidates to come into our industry and to thrive in their careers. So that's been really, really exciting. And so we are tracking our metrics we, are, we had this workshop at the last uh, MedTech conference, something we haven't really done at Stryker. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are looking at doing different types of training. Uh, we, we have a training at Stryker called Think Twice, which is really terrific. It's going very, very well around unconscious bias. And you've probably heard in the literature that unconscious bias training has had mixed results in companies. The way we, our Think Twice works is we say, you're not responsible for your first thought. But you are responsible for your second thought and your first action. Hmm. So, in other words, your bias. Everyone's biased. Don't worry about it. So, when you have that first reaction of the, well, that person wouldn't fit in our company, stop, think twice, mm-hmm. and say, right, why not? And challenge yourself. And so, rather than saying we're going to change your bias, which some some of the trainings have done, try to change your. you can't change your natural bias of what has been in your body and in your mind since you were born, right? You're a subject of your environment to some degree, but if you can stop yourself and pause and, and learn about why you might have a bias, then you can actually change And uh, in terms of hiring and having diverse panels and interview panels, diverse slates, all of these kind of practices, we're trying to now proliferate that across our industry. And we're even, we even have uh, some employee resource groups that are broader than just one company. Mm-hmm. like MedTech Color, which is it was a grassroots organization. And AdvaMed is partnering with these groups to really amplify their voice. So it's really, uh, it's not sort of the Striker offense taken to AdvaMed. It's getting best practice from all of the different companies, including Striker. But I w- I'd say I'm pretty excited. It, it's, it's gained more steam than I expected prior to the racial unrest that we've just had in the United States. And this is only going to make it go that much faster. Excellent. And, and
0: I appreciate your taking time for this important conversation. Just one quick question. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask. You mentioned COVID-19. How are things, how is Striker moving forward from this?
4: So we have a, quite a bit of exposure to uh, elective procedure or what I like to say deferrable procedures because people mm-hmm. still will need their hip or knee replacement or their spinal procedure, but it's been delayed. And so April was our worst month. Uh, our sales were down almost 40% may was better than april june is tracking better than may so as the economies open up the the business is uh, starting to return which is very exciting uh we did uh idle a number of our production lines we're looking to bring those production lines back on uh, in the month of july Mm -hmm. so we're gearing up for a return to work which is of course very exciting and we've learned new skills like we're doing today on this call uh you know you do this for a living but at Stryker, we didn't do so much of physician training or, or even uh, just meetings in, in, this, in this virtual format. And I think this will be part of our, our future offense, but, but we're feeling very optimistic about the future. We came into this in, in, in a position of strength. We had grown organically seven consecutive years. We had a great start to the year. Obviously this has derailed our growth momentum for a little while, but we believe we're gonna be able to, to bounce back and have a, have a terrific future ahead of us.
0: Excellent, well, I appreciate your time and, and thank you for your leadership. Great okay Thank day. you. Well, there you go. thanks again to Kevin Lobo for taking a few minutes for that interview. I thought it went really well and uh, had some very important messages
1: yeah, I mean, besides some really good insights there about uh, diversity in the industry that that was that was interesting too that he started to see some. Science of Recovery for Striker, which it kind of goes along with what we're hearing from a lot of the other top executives that they, as they do analyst calls and whatnot. So let's, let's hope that continues.
0: So uh, excellent. Well, this uh, concludes this episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Chris, uh, how can folks find you on social media?
1: Uh, it's really easy. You can find me on Twitter at NewMarker, just like a new marker. I'm on LinkedIn. And, uh, and you, can, you can reach me at cnewmarker at wtwhmedia.com. Always happy to chat with people.
0: Awesome. And I am on Twitter at MedTechTom. On LinkedIn, under Tom Salemi, please connect with me. And uh, email is the same, tsolemi at wtwhmedia.com. Please, folks, if you would subscribe to this podcast, that'd be great. That way we can send it directly to you. You'll get it before anyone else. I promise you'll be the first one we send it to. And uh, give a rating too, if you would, on, uh, on Apple Podcasts. It's great to uh, hear how we're doing and, and to see how we're doing, and it'll help other people find the podcast. And you can also share this on social media. We gave you all our social media info. Put it out there on Twitter and LinkedIn. Connect to Chris and myself. We'd love to be part of that conversation. Finally, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Hope it's a, uh, an enjoyable, quiet holiday weekend. And uh, tune in next week. We'll have another great episode of Device Talks Weekly waiting for you.
1: Grill something out. Stay safe and welcome.